Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Joe Biden campaigns in Georgia as Democrats push further to the left. Former Republicans declare they will be taking over the party now. And the culture wars continue as a San Francisco high school dumps Abraham Lincoln as its namesake. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. My savvy fans secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com. Slash Ben. We'll get to all the news, and there is an awful lot of news to get to. First, let me tell you about an amazing holiday gift. I'm talking about the most delicious of all holiday gifts. I'm talking, of course, about the meat, Omaha Steaks Beef. I'm talking about their amazing deluxe grillers assortment. Here is what it features. You ready? Four top sirloins, eight boneless chicken breasts, four Omaha Steaks burgers, eight gourmet jumbo franks, eight individual scallop potatoes, eight caramel apple tartlets, and one jar of signature seasoning. I know that their meat is amazing because they sent me a steak, a kosher steak like a year ago. This thing is juicy. It is mouth-watering. It is perfectly aged. It was perfectly preserved when they sent it to me. I mean, it is just, it is the easiest thing to grill. It's terrific, terrific stuff. Right now, you get that mouth-watering deluxe grillers assortment, plus four free burgers and a free digital meat thermometer at an exclusive price available only to my listeners. Head on over to omahasteaks.com, enter code Shapiro into the search bar. Omaha Steaks is not just steak. It is a guaranteed fantastic gift, a safe way to share the joy of the season. Don't forget, when you order the Deluxe Grillers assortment, you'll also get four free Omaha Steaks burgers and a free digital meat thermometer with my code Shapiro at omahasteaks.com. That is a deal you're not going to find anywhere else. Again, it's all backed by 100% money-back guarantee as well. Visit omahasteaks.com, type Shapiro in that search bar to shop the best gourmet gifts of the season. I mean, whoever opens up that gift is going to be so happy that day. My goodness, omahasteaks.com, type Shapiro in that search bar to search for the best possible gifts. Okay, so Joe Biden was down in Georgia yesterday campaigning for... Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, both of whom are radical. John Ossoff is a trust fund socialist, and Raphael Warnock is an actual crazy socialist, leftist, Marxist, insane person. Raphael Warnock is a person who's like hot on Castro, hot on Louis Farrakhan, hot on Linda Sarsour. Like everybody who sucks, he, he loves immensely. And this is somebody that Joe Biden desperately wants to be in the United States Senate because, you see, here's the thing. For all the talk about how the Republicans have broadened the Overton window to allow people in who shouldn't be, the Democrats have never ever narrowed the Overton window on their left. There's nobody on the left who is too far left for the Democratic Party. It just does not exist. The Republicans have cast out from among them people like Representative Steve King, who was replaced in the last election cycle in a primary. That seat now belongs to a different Republican, Feenstra. But you don't see the same thing from the Democrats. You just don't. The Republicans looked at Roy Moore in Alabama. and They're like, no, we're not going to do that. And Doug Jones, who's a Democrat, ended up representing Alabama as a senator, which is insane because Alabama is probably the most red state in America. For Democrats, however, you get Raphael Warnock up there praising Louis Farrakhan and talking about the wonders of Jeremiah Wright. And Joe Biden's like, you know what? We need this guy in the Senate. 
really, really need this guy in the Senate. But don't worry, I'm an old-fashioned moderate, a super old-fashioned moderate. So Biden showed up in Georgia and, uh, and started talking about why you need all of these people in the Senate. He said about the, the Georgian voters that you voted in record numbers in order to improve the lives of every Georgian, and you voted as if your life depended on it, which, by the way, is the worst line. I hate that line so much. Your life does not depend on your vote in the United States of America. If your life depends on your vote in the United States of America, you don't live in a free country anymore. It Truly, it is that simple. Maybe your lifestyle depends on your vote. That's fair. Maybe the decisions you make in your life are impacted by your vote. I think that's true. But your life itself depends on your vote. If that is true, you are no longer living in a constitutional republic. You are living under threat of extermination, like you know, the citizens of Hong Kong, for example. But the, this kind of stuff is just, it's egregious. It's egregious. And then he says, guess what? You're going to have to do it again. So this is Captain, I'm going to take down the temperature here, Joe Biden. I'm going to take down the temperature also if you vote or die. Like literally, if you don't vote, then my political opponents will probably look to kill you. I mean, that's that's wild, wild stuff. Okay, so Joe Biden then mocked the, the Republican senators from the state, Leffler and Purdue. Here he was yesterday going after Leffler and Purdue, both of whom have challenged the state election results in Georgia. There's still an outstanding lawsuit in Georgia over voter irregularity and voter fraud. It is the sole outstanding serious lawsuit uh, by Team Trump with regard to the possibility of voter fraud and voter irregularity, and that will still be adjudicated in court. But here was Biden going after Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. You know who didn't stand by? You know who did nothing while Trump, Texas, and others were trying to wipe out every single one of the almost 5 million votes you had cast here in Georgia in November? Your two Republican senators, they stood by. In fact, your two Republican senators fully embraced what Texas was telling the Supreme Court. They fully embraced nullifying nearly 5 million Georgia votes. Just a quick note for Joe Biden, according to polling statistics, apparently a majority of Georgians are concerned about that election status and believe that the election actually did not go the way that, um, that it was certified as going. So I'm not sure how appealing that message is going to be. Joe Biden is not exactly the guy that you bring into a rally to get people revved up, right? He's the guy you hide in the basement and then you make him president-elect because he was in the basement. Like the more he gets out, the less people like him. The more he is out there in the public eye, the more people are like, oh, this one? Really? Of all the humans? They, uh, the, the American public, I think, looks at Joe Biden in much the same way that uh, Jason Bateman looked at Michael Chera's girlfriend on Arrested Development. It's like, her? Her? Really? Her? Yeah, I think, and the more you see Biden, the more you see that. I mean, yesterday, even while he was in the middle of rallying, he looked like he was going to keel over. And here was Joe Biden calling John Ossoff, John Orsoff. This is after declaring that a person he selected for his own cabinet was named Xavier Becerra. His name is Xavier Becerra. Here is slow old Joe Biden. Home for your next United States Senator, John Orsoff. Yeah, Orsoff. Who? I don't know. That one. That guy over there. There's Kamala Harris in the background, just grinning ear to ear like the Joker. And here's uh, here's Joe Biden also sounding unwell. Same rally. The lives of every Georgian still depend on what you're doing. Yes, you still need to vote as if your life depends on it because it does. And guess what? You don't have to wait till January 5th to vote. You can vote starting now. Early vote has begun. There's no... No one. That's not one reason here why you should wait to vote. You hear his voice is pretty hoarse there. 
And Joe Biden there, as a man on the brink of death, let me tell you, your life depends on this. Food taster, Joe. Food taster. Okay, well, one of Biden's other messages here, aside from you're going to die if you vote for my political opponents in Georgia. One of his other messages is time to unite, guys. Remember, this is this is the same nonsense that Barack Obama did. Barack Obama would constantly talk about how we needed to we need to unify. You get behind me. Unify as a nation by agreeing with me. Also, if you don't agree with me, you're a bitter clinger. Probably racist a little bit. Just a little bit. Like a lot, but a little bit. But mostly, but a little. A little racist. And now you got Joe Biden doing the same routine. And so here is Joe Biden yesterday saying he looks forward to working with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader. <laughs> sure you do, Joe. I had a good conversation with Mitch McConnell today. He talked to him, I called him to thank him for the congratulations. Told him, although we disagree on a lot of things, there's things we can work together on. We've always been straight with one, on one another. And uh, we agreed we'd get together sooner than later. And I'm looking forward to working with him. Okay, so there he is, Captain Unity. Well, there, I have some unfortunate news for uh, Captain Unity. It turns out that his own deputy campaign manager um, said a thing today that undercuts that message of unity in rather dramatic fashion. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about the greatest food on planet. I'm talking waffles. Okay, waffles. Yeah, man. Okay, so there is this product. It is called the Presto Stuffler Stuffed Waffle Maker. And let me tell you, over the weekend, I broke this thing out. And I used it with my kids. It is just spectacular. You pour the batter in. You put whatever stuffing you want in the middle of the waffle. You pour some more batter in. You flip it. It cooks for like seven, eight minutes. And you have the greatest stuffed waffle in history. We put in a bunch of peanut butter cups. Oh, my God. It was, it was a dessert waffle. It was unbelievable. The thing's incredibly easy to use. It makes delicious waffles every single time. It is great for pretty much everything, sweet or savory. You can make it with chicken the same way that you can make it with candy the way that we did. You can also do it for keto diet. So it doesn't have to be completely delicious and decadent. You can also do keto diets, right? You can make no or low carb batters. You make stuff with eggs or chicken or cheese. You make burgers, cream cheese, veggies. And it's great for all of those things. The stuffler is easy to use. It works with most any batter, not just waffle mixes, cake, muffin, brownie mixes, both box and from scratch. You just pour in the batter. You add the stuffing. You fill with more batter. You close the cover. You flip it. And then you're done. And the tongs are built in. So you just pick it up, put it on the plate. You're good to go. It is delicious. Okay, and it's family fun. My kids helped me out doing this. It was, it was a blast. They enjoyed it. Go to www.stuffler.com, click the buy now, and then the add to cart button, enter promo code Ben to get 10% off again. That is stuffler.com, promo code Ben, after you add to cart. This is an amazing, awesome product. Go check it out right now. Stuffler.com, promo code Ben, after you add to the cart for a special deal. Okay, so Captain Unity over here, right? I, I can't wait to unify with Mitch McConnell. Also, also, Daily Wire, Hank Berrien reporting, Joe Biden's 2020 campaign manager, Jen O'Malley Dillon, who is now his prospective deputy chief of staff, ripped Republicans in an interview saying she believed in unity, but added, quote, I'm not saying they're not a bunch of furs. Yeah, that's unifying. I can feel the warmth rolling off of you in waves there, Jen. It sounds like you want to get together and make the country a better place. Also, Joe Biden says that if you vote for Republicans, then you might die. And also you're a bunch of effers. Yes, I can, I can feel us all. Can't you feel us all coming together? It feels like the era of division that began, of course, with Trump is now over. And we are back to the era of unity under Barack Obama that never existed under Barack Obama, didn't exist under George W. Bush, didn't exist under Bill Clinton, but, it, but it's definitely going to exist now. And the only way it's going to exist is, of course, you agree with Joe Biden. That's the way that this works. Because if you believe, if you truly believe that Joe Biden is going to pursue anything like a moderate agenda, he, he is not. He's not going to pursue a moderate agenda. He's just going to not be as threatening in mean and appearance 
as other Democrats are, because he appears as though he is on the verge of the next life. Okay, but that does not mean that he is not going to pursue agenda items that run directly contrary to many long-held principles by the American right and by many Americans who are not of the right. Here is Jen O'Malley Dillon's full comment in Glamour Magazine, which again, it's just hilarious to me that Glamour Magazine is doing interviews with people like Jen O'Malley Dillon, and it just shows the, the bias in the media. Maggie Haberman over at the New York Times tweeted out this morning something about a member of Joe Biden's staff, that that member of the staff was talking about how she was a mother, and, and, Mag, um, and Maggie Haberman tweeted out, it is pretty impressive and still rare for women in politics to talk about their pride in mothering. And it's like, oh my God, every single major Republican woman of the last administration was a mom. And they all talked about being a mom, like all of them. None of them were featured in magazines. They were all, I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was a mom, was getting tossed out of like a restaurant with her family. And you jerks in the media were cheering it. Anyway, here is what Jen O'Malley Dillon had to say. I also think, as in love, compromise is a good thing. The atmosphere in the world now is like, oh, if you compromise, you don't believe in something. No, it's, I believe in it so much, I'm going to work to find a path we can both go down together. That feels to me like the heart of relationships and love and success across the board. The president-elect was able to connect with people over this sense of unity. In the primary, people would mock him like, you think he can work with Republicans? I'm not saying they're not a bunch of effers. Mitch McConnell is terrible. But this sense that you couldn't wish for that, you couldn't wish for this bipartisan ideal, he rejected that. So in other words, we wish we could compromise. But the people across the table are effers, but we want to compromise. And so we get credit for the intention, right? So it's, it's like if, if you bring flowers to your horrible, horrible spouse who you're about to divorce, right? You get credit for the bringing of the flowers, even if you then proceed to call her a, um, a very, very bad word. Good, good job. Good job, everybody. Team, team Biden, really unifying stuff. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is, in fact, pursuing controversial policies, controversial picks. So Biden is talking specifically about how he wants to use COVID policy in order to t- tackle racial and ethnic inequalities. Ooh, now that sounds like exciting stuff. This is something they've been talking about for a while here, is that Joe Biden sees COVID as another way of cramming down a particular viewpoint on the universe, right? There was a lot of talk, even in, in his early COVID press conferences after the election, he was, ha- he was hosting like a racial and diversity coordinator. And the idea is that America, its gaps in terms of racial death rates, those have to do with America's historic legacy of racism and how terrible America is and all this. So now, according to the Washington Post, Biden is doubling down on that. Biden wants to continue to push divisive policy in the face of COVID. Now, it seems to me that when you're talking about COVID policy, the first thing that you should be doing is focusing in specifically on fighting the health problem. And we should focus in on people as individuals who require care, not as members of groups who are, quote unquote, historically victimized. The the notion that, that in order for you to achieve actual good health outcomes, you have to also pursue, quote unquote, social justice rejiggering of basic expectations is is pretty ridiculous on its face. Unfortunately, that is something that Joe Biden has already said that he is going to pursue. Also, he is filling out his cabinet now. Ooh. And who is he, who's he choosing? He's choosing, you know, unifying figures like Pete Buttigieg. So he chose Pete Buttigieg as his uh, transportation secretary. So I, I said before, it feels like basically Joe Biden just has like a list of names. And then he has a list of positions. And he puts the list of positions up on a dartboard. And then he picks a name and just throws the dart at the dartboard. And wherever the dart comes down, this is who will serve in that position. So it's like Dennis McDonough. Oh, yeah, I, I remember Dennis Packman in the Obama administration. Good guy, John. And, and you know what? Let's, let's figure, let's, let's, find a, let's find a place for, for old Dennis. Oh, Veterans Affairs, Veterans Affairs. Veter- and somebody's like, Joe, 
He's not a veteran. He doesn't know anything about veterans affairs. He doesn't know anyone in the military. I was like, it's okay. I threw the dart. It's too late. Dart's done. They're like, Pete Buttigieg. Oh, yeah. I love, love Pete. Pete's a good guy. Good, good young, good young buck. Pete, like my son. Like, great, great. Let, let's find a Transportation secretary for good old Pete. It's like, what? Why is he transportation secretary? What exactly are the, what, what is his expertise in transportation? As it turns out, he has no expertise in transportation. Politico notes, Buttigieg's landing spot comes as a surprise, given his thin transportation policy resume. <laughs> also, gotta love this. Love that the media are now calling Buttigieg. He'd be the first openly gay cabinet secretary. So Richard Grinnell was the ambassador to Germany and was, and was cabinet level position. So they are now sort of tailoring this title so that they can say that Buttigieg is the first, even though Rick Grinnell already was an openly gay man serving in a high position in the Trump administration. But, uh, but Politico points out that, oh yeah, he, uh, he has no transportation policy resume. Originally, he wanted to serve as ambassador to the United Nations, which would have been awful. And um, so he went from mayor of South Bend to the transportation secretary for no reason at all. He will head to Washington to take responsibility for nearly 55,000 employees. First of all, honestly, disband half of these departments. Disband them. An $87 billion budget and more than a dozen administrations overseeing the nation's airspace, highway system, pipeline safety, and more. Sounds great, guys. Biden said in the announcement, jobs, infrastructure, equity, climate all come together at the DOT. The site of some of our most ambitious plans to build back better. I trust Mayor Pete to lead this work with focus, decency, and bold vision. He'll bring people together to get big things. So, good times. He's going to be over there um, at uh, the transportation department. There's only one problem. There's only one problem. Black activists warns against his selection, saying he and other longtime Biden allies rumored for the spot have a poor record of working with communities of color. Two black community leaders from South Bend, Councilmember Henry Davis Jr. and local BLM leader Jordan Geiger, both of whom have criticized Buttigieg's record throughout his presidential primary campaign, mobilized in response to reports he was under consideration. Davis said, he did a really bad job for this community and my district in particular. Bus lines have been shut down and cut off in one of the poorest census tracts in the city. Geiger said he has no history of working with Black-owned businesses. Hurting Black communities is not worth the price of doing a political favor for Pete Buttigieg just because he endorsed Biden's campaign in the primary. But that's all that, that really matters. You know, all, all that really matters in the end is that Pete Buttigieg is somebody that, uh, that Biden wants to pass along a position to and Transportation Secretary will do as well as any. By the way, also worth noting, in, two, in 2019, the South Bend Tribune, again, the man, the man was the mayor of a city of 100,000 people. Like 100,000 people was, uh, again, that is, a, that is a relatively small city, 100,000 people. And that guy's going to be transportation secretary. And he couldn't even fix the potholes there. According to the South Bend Tribune, many residents felt the city had, quote, the worst pothole situation in the state. The Tribune reported in 2018, this is according to Fox News, that potholes at the time were the worst area repair shops had seen in over 10 years. Lines of vehicles reportedly awaited repair for pothole damages every day. It's the worst I've ever seen, said Rich Ferrara Jr., service manager at Rick's Auton Road 66 in South Bend. Though the state allows motorists to file claims for damage caused by potholes, it's unclear how many claims and how many, how many file claims and how many claims are actually processed. In 2019, Domino's Pizza stepped in, offering South Bend a $5,000 paving for pizza grant to fill in potholes. So w well done, everybody. By, by the way, Booty Judge's successor ran on a platform of repairing the potholes. 
<laughs> Make that guy Secretary of Transportation. Makes perfect sense. Perfect sense, guys. All righty. We'll get to more of this in just one second. Because it turns out that Captain Unity over here is not super unifying, as you would have suspected. But first, let us talk about the fact that you don't trust your social media companies, nor should you. They have made overt decisions on what sort of material you should and should not see. They have downgraded material that cuts against the Democrats. They've upgraded material that is in favor of Democrats. They've prevented people from speaking freely. So why would you grant them access to your data so they can monetize it and then use your data to make money and then prevent you from seeing the stuff you want to see? Instead, why not hide your own data? Use ExpressVPN. The big problem with tech companies, they not only censor what you read, they track what you do online. They'll track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. They use that data to serve you ads that can match your activity to your offline identity using your device's unique IP address. When I use ExpressVPN, tech companies can't see my IP address at all. My identity is masked and anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. If that sounds complicated, it is not. You download it. It's very quick. With one click, you are now protected. So, why give the tech companies access to your most important data and then have them turn around and sell it off? It's time to take back your privacy. ExpressVPN.com slash Ben. Visit my special link. You'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Who doesn't like to save money, right? ExpressVPN.com slash Ben. E-X-P-R-E-S-S. VPN.com slash Ben to protect your data today. It's also worth remembering that Mayor Pete, again, one of these unifying, unifying figures, he started the campaign as a guy who said basically that I'm not going to look down my nose at people on the other side of the aisle. And he finished his campaign as Pastor Pete, a man lecturing you, the traditional Christian, on why his version of Christianity, in which same-sex marriage and abortion were sacraments, why his Christianity was the right version of Christianity. Flashback to 2019, he said Christians will face a reckoning on religion. This is Captain Unity over here on MSNBC just about a year ago. For as long as there has been faith and as long as there has been politics, there have been different understandings on the right thing to do and how these things fit together. But for the, the party and the movement known for beating other people on the head with their faith or their interpretation of their faith, it makes no sense to we'll literally vote to take food away from the hungry, to uh, essentially be practicing the very thing that not just a Christian scriptural tradition, but so many others uh, uh, tell us we're not supposed to do in terms of harming other people. Um, and I do think there's going to be a reckoning over uh, that. This schmuck. I mean, honestly, his his religious viewpoint, which is basically all of my leftist priors ought to be confirmed by religion. And if you disagree, you're a bad Christian. He was the only theocrat in the race, so far as I could tell. And Donald Trump certainly wasn't a theocrat. But Pete Buttigieg definitely, definitely was. And he was very divisive on that end, by the way. The things that religion requires are that you ignore all democratic social policy and pretend that it's good. And also worry seriously, like a lot about global warming. Here he was around that same time talking about how God will not let us off the hook on global warming. Question. God going to let us off the hook on, you know, the murder of a million unborn children in the womb every year in the United States? How about that? You think God's like super hot on that one, Pete? Here he was back in 2019. Environmental stewardship isn't just about taking care of the planet. It's taking care of our neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the biggest problem with climate change isn't just that it's going to hurt the planet. I mean, in some way, shape or form, the planet's still going to be here. It's that we are hurting people, people who are alive right now and people who will be born in the future. It's, the way I see it, I don't imagine that God's going to let us off the hook for abusing future generations any more uh, than you would be off the hook for harming somebody right next to you. And with climate change, we're doing both. I mean, God, I mean, God is not going to let us off the hook if we don't take care of climate change, because that hurts both future generations and people who are here right now. Now do abortion. Now do abortion. I mean, that literally is harming future generations and people who are here right now, literally by killing them. 
But you know what? It's okay. Unity cabinet, guys. Super unifying. Speaking of super unifying, Joe Biden also wants to pick Jennifer Granholm for energy secretary. Now, what exactly is her experience with energy, considering that she's the former governor of Michigan? Not much. She's a quote-unquote longtime champion of renewable energy development. Ooh, she likes windmills. <laughs> That's so exciting. Good times. Also a unity pick. Flashback. August 25th, 2012. Quote, Republican convention delayed due to Hurricane Isaac. I guess God has ways to shut that whole thing down. Yeah, good times with Jennifer Granholm, who also has hashtagged Moscow Mitch consistently for the last year and a half. And then, again, all that matters for the press is what diversity box they fill. So here is the New York Times reporting on Jennifer Granholm, who is a radical lefty. Here is what the New York Times reports. If confirmed, Granholm 61 will be the second woman after Hazel O'Leary, who served under President Bill Clinton to lead the vast department, which oversees the U.S. nuclear weapons complex, as well as 17 national laboratories and a wide range of energy research and development initiatives. Oh, oh my God. You mean she'll be the second woman after the famed Hazel O'Leary? Wow. Mind blown. So historic. So Pete Buttigieg will be the first cabinet level secretary who's gay, except for Rick Grinnell, who is a cabinet level guy who is gay in the Trump. And, and she will be the second woman to lead the famed energy department after Hazel O'Leary, the second most famous O'Leary after, well, third most famous because it goes like Mrs. O'Leary, who's Cal Burn Chicago, and then Troy O'Leary, the former right fielder for the Red Sox, and then Hazel O'Leary. So that's exciting stuff. Says the New York Times, Miss Granholm is widely credited during her two terms as Michigan governor with steering her state through a recession and working with the Obama administration on a 2009 bailout of the automobile industry that included clean energy investments and incentives for car makers to invest in technologies like battery storage. Oh, you mean she presided over the, the continued degradation of the car industry in Michigan to the point where manufacturing in Michigan sank to such a level that Donald Trump was elected in 2016? Yeah, that was good stuff. Also, she, uh, she gave a TED Talk in 2011 on investing in alternative energy resources. So that's exciting. We can expect her to pour a bunch of money into useless technologies that will likely not succeed. What, what a, what a unit. So much unity going to happen, guys. So much unity. You effers. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you need energy. I need energy these days. My kids keep me up at all hours of the night, and yet I have to come in here every day and provide you with the greatest podcast and radio show in the nation, which means I have to go through just a lot, a lot, a lot of energy. And that means I need Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company CEO and founder Evan Hafer. He started the business after over 20 years in the U.S. Army as an infantryman, special forces soldier, CIA contractor. Evan founded Black Rifle in 2014, along with former Army Ranger Matt Best, as the combination of two passions, developing premium fresh roasted coffee and honoring and supporting those who serve on the front lines. Black Rifle is a fantastic company. They've donated over 45,000 pounds of coffee, over 1 million cups of coffee to soldiers deployed overseas, law enforcement officers, wildland firefighters on the West Coast, and medical workers during COVID-19 response just in 2020 alone. And their coffee happens to be fantastic. If you need a boost during the day that tastes great, I'm telling you, you got to have Black Rifle Coffee. If you want to support the cause, go to blackriflecoffee.com slash Shapiro today. Get 20% off coffee, apparel, and gear, as well as 20% off your first month of the coffee club. That is blackriflecoffee.com slash Shapiro for 20% off coffee, apparel, and gear. Again, 20% off your first month of the coffee club. Go check them out right now, blackriflecoffee.com slash Shapiro. Okay, well, if you thought, okay, well, you know, these are just cabinet secretaries, so who... Who really cares? I mean, their cabinets, don't worry. The moderates will still be in charge. The, the media are so itching for Joe Biden to be off the stage. They are so itching for him to be gone. Thomas Friedman has a piece in the New York Times today titled Kamala Harris deserves a more important job. So here's the thing. She's 
the vice president-elect, which means that there is only one more important job, right? It's not like, <laughs> it's not like there are tons of them out there, right? It's like, she needs a more important, let's, let's think real hard about what that more important job could be, Thomas. <laughs> Get a food taster. That is the worst job in America, being Joe Biden's food taster. That it, short-lived job, as it turns out. That is a temp job. Not because you do it and then you're fired, but because you do it and then you die if you're a Joe Biden's food taster. Says Thomas Friedman, I was speaking recently to Matt Dunn, founder of the Center on Rural Innovation, which promotes digital economic development in small town America. He was telling me about a Vermont community near his home with a great public library. He could drive by on any Sunday. The parking lot would be full, he said. There was just one problem. The library was closed on Sundays. The parking lot was full of cars with kids doing their homework and adults doing their office work, using the wireless connectivity, spilling out of the empty building because the rural homes lacked high-speed broadband. That is why I want to talk today about Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Harris is too smart and energetic to be just the vice president, a position with few official responsibilities. I'd love to see President-elect Joe Biden give her a more important job, his de facto secretary of rural development in charge of closing the opportunity gap, the connectivity gap, the learning gap, the startup gap, the anger and alienation gap between rural America and the rest of, yes, I'm sure Kamala Harris, former senator from California and AG of California, of California is going to be the person to tackle the gap between rural and urban in terms of alienation and anger. Also, I love the idea that she is well-qualified for anything beyond her job. She wasn't even qualified to be senator from California. She's a terrible senator. Awful. She's a terrible AG. And then she was plucked from obscurity to be this, this vice presidential candidate solely on the basis of her race and her, and her sex. That is not me saying that. That was Joe Biden saying that. Okay, so don't. she deserves a more important job. She doesn't even deserve the job she, she's going to get. That's a, come on. Come on. But they, they, they are itching to get Biden off the stage. I mean, my my goodness, my goodness. And the, the war on you efforts, it is just beginning. It is just beginning. And by the way, the media are going to push it from every possible angle. So a couple angles they're pushing it from today. If you're a conservative, if you're somebody who thought about voting for Trump or did vote for Trump, or you just don't mirror the prevailing values of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Well, then there, there's two angles. The media are pushing one angle, which is there's going to be a new Republican Party and it's going to be taken over by by the best, the best available Republicans. You know, the people who didn't vote for Trump and who held out and who hated Trump and who yelled at him a lot. Those people are going to be the people who take over the Republican Party. And so today, The New York Times is pushing an op-ed from Evan McMuffin. Sorry, it's McMullen. McMullen. <laughs> Sorry about that. Former CIA operations officer and chief policy director for the House Republican Conference. He ran against Trump in 2016 and earned one half of one vote. He has a piece in the New York Times saying, if the Republican Party doesn't shape up, we will challenge it. Note to Evan McMuffin, you did try to challenge that in 2016. And respect, you tried it. It didn't go great for you. So I'm wondering what you think your base of support is in taking over the Republican Party post-Trump presidency. Like, what exactly is your... Is your base of support to come in and scream at everybody who voted for Trump that they're a bad person? Is that is that because that's kind of what you were doing for like years on end. And as somebody who didn't vote for Trump in 2016 and did vote for Trump in 2020, it's off-putting. It's silly. Okay, but don't worry. You know who's going to lead the Republican Party in the future? It's going to be people, apparently, according to the New York Times, like uh, Evan McMullen. So it says Evan McMullen in his op-ed. What's next for Republicans who reject their party's attempts to incinerate the Constitution in the service of one man's authoritarian power grabs? Where is our home now? The answer is we must develop an intellectual and political home for now outside of any party. From there, we can continue working with other Americans to defeat Mr. Trump's heirs, help offer unifying leadership to the country. And if the Republican Party continues on its current path, launch a party to challenge it directly. Yeah, good, good luck. Good luck, gang. I hope that you've enjoyed your time in the semi-spotlight. 
I hope you've enjoyed the strange new respect that Republicans receive shortly after yelling at Republicans. If you want to get a headline today, if you're a, a an obscure Republican announced that you're no longer a Republican, you'll be on MSNBC instantly. And then within five minutes, they'll be declaring you a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe again if it turns out you're a conservative. So good luck with that. Speaking of which, Steve Schmidt, who was, he, he, has respo- he is, is um, he's now re-registering as a Democrat, which makes sense. He's been helping to elect Democrats since 2008 when he ran uh, John McCain's campaign. So makes sense. Now he's just going to do it formally. He said yesterday he was registering as a Democrat. Well, don't let the door hit you on the way out, buddy. I spent 29 years as a Republican. I've spent two and a half as an independent. And later this afternoon, I will register as a member of the Democratic Party. Wow. And I'm doing that. What a journey. Because in America today, it's only the Democratic Party, which is the oldest political party in the world, that stands for the ideas and ideals of American liberty. Oh, my God. Oh, my. You're right. It's the only the party that says that the government should run every aspect of your life and be involved in every aspect of your life that stands for liberty. This is, by the way, that's him talking to David Plouffe, David, former Obama staffer. And I love Plouffe just fluffing him right there. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a big announcement. Steve Schmidt, who's been completely irrelevant to all conservatives and Republicans for literally several years. Yes, yes, huge move. Okay, guys, don't worry. They're not taking over the Republican Party, but you're going to see the Democrats try to prop up figures like this. Meanwhile, your illustrious media betters, they're going to continue just sneering at you and treating you like garbage. And it doesn't matter how conciliatory you are. They will still treat you like garbage. Trump didn't come out of nowhere, gang. And whatever happens with Trump in the future, it ain't the end of the backlash that is only just beginning in this country. Okay, the backlash is just beginning. Got a question, and we, we do all access every night at Daily Wear for subscribers. And, uh, and so I was hanging out with some subscribers last night, and somebody asked me how I can remain optimistic in the face of the fact that Democrats have taken over so many of our major institutions and in the face of the Electoral College vote yesterday. And what I said is, I think the backlash is only beginning. I think that the Democrats have succeeded in taking over the highest levels of our institutions from Hollywood to the media to social media. And I think that's a problem. The fact is, Republicans should hold the Senate. Republicans overperformed in the House. Republicans overperformed in state houses across the country. Despite all of that, imagine if Republicans were to actually fight back on the cultural level. Imagine if Republicans were to actually fight back against the institutional dominance of the left. The backlash is only beginning. The left is pushing too far. They're pushing too far. And we'll get to the media in just one second, because again, you keep saying that you want unity and then you spit in the eye of anyone who even reaches across the aisle. It's pretty impressive. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk. Let us talk about your sleep quality. So last night, baby woke me up, 1.30 a.m., wanted to have a bottle. So I dutifully got out of bed, got out of the bottle, went back to bed. Now, I'm not somebody who falls back to sleep easily at night once I'm up. I'm kind of up, which is bad if it's 1.30 in the morning, but not so anymore because I have a Helix Sleep mattress that was made just for me. Helix Sleep has a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody is unique. Helix knows that. They have several mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, firm mattresses. Mattresses, great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. We've been getting unboxing videos from so many of you who have found the Helix sleep experience just magical. It is. It's cool. It comes in the mail. You open it up. It inflates right in front of you. It's good to go. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. 
take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but indeed, you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com. Ben, go check them out right now. Up to 200 bucks off all mattress orders. Two free pillows for our listeners, helixsleep.com slash Ben to get a mattress made just for you. Okay, we're going to get to the media and then to some of the social war stuff, the culture war stuff that continues to animate the country because Trump won in 2016 thanks to the culture wars. It wasn't about economics. I really don't think it was. It wasn't about the rural-urban divide. It was about a culture divide between what Charles Murray once called the new upper class and the new lower class. What he meant was a cultural upper crust of college graduates who have decided to speak their own language versus everybody else. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, on Monday, December 21st, the historical docuseries Apollo 11, What We Saw, will soon be available exclusively at dailywire.com. Originally released as an audio podcast for Apple and Spotify, What We Saw is available now to watch as well as listen to on Apple Daily Wire Apple TV or Roku app or at dailywire.com. It's a docuseries, full docuseries that is awesome looking. It is beautifully edited. It takes a detailed look at the Apollo 11 mission to land a man on the moon. The culmination of a heated decades-long space race between Cold War rivals, the United States and the Soviet Union, the podcast explores one of America's greatest accomplishments through the eyes of the millions of Americans who lived through it. It's a dramatically inspiring story, and it is fantastic to watch with your loved one, great with your kids over the holiday break, especially we're now living in what may be a second space age. Go check out Apollo 11, What We Saw, and right now, get it for 20% off with code WATCH when you become an insider or above member at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Make sure to download our Apple TV or Roku app to get all of our content on your big screen, including our podcasts and special live streams. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe to get 20% off your membership with code WATCH and access to all of our new and existing content. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So in line with the theme that the Democrats and the media want you to unite with the Democrats, you effers, uh, the, the media have been pushing, you know, quote unquote, moderate Republicans and anti-Trump Republicans as the replacement for the mainstream Republican Party. Also, on the other hand, they are they are basically just spitting in the eyes of Republicans. So excellent example yesterday, a couple of excellent examples from our esteemed journalists, the objective media. Okay, so yesterday, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, went on the floor of the Senate and he acknowledged that Joe Biden was the president-elect because the Electoral College had voted for him. So this is true. Here is, here is Mitch McConnell doing just that. This would be a conciliatory move from Mitch McConnell, right? I mean, he's doing what he is supposed to do. He's congratulating the guy who just won the Electoral College vote. Many millions of us had hoped the presidential election would yield a different result. But our system of government has processes to determine who will be sworn in on January the 20th. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The President-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. Okay, so yeah, that, was, that was McConnell trying to be gracious. Naturally, that means that the Democrats are going to immediately spit on him. That's it, because that's the way this, our politics works is, you, why won't you just acknowledge the reality? Why won't you just say what we want you to say? And then he says what they want him to say, like, because he's an ass. Like, well, uh, hold on. So here is Kamala Harris sitting one million feet from, uh, from who is this, Barbara? That's not Barbara Walters. I can't remember who that is. Is it Andrea Mitchell? A little hard to tell. In any case, here is, uh, here is Kamala Harris sitting on the other side of the planet from whoever is interviewing her, <laughs> saying that it would have been better if McConnell had said it earlier. Why? The Electoral College only voted on Monday. Here, here is Kamala Harris being a jerk. 
Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have spoken. He yeah. has acknowledged yeah. that he is the president-elect. Yeah. How important do you think that is? I think it's critically important. I applaud Mitch McConnell for, for talking to Joe Biden today. You know, it would have been better if it were earlier, but it happened. And that's what's most important. And so let's move forward. Okay, so obviously that was Robin Roberts speaking in that clip. It, it, yes, it's gracious. I wish he had done it earlier. Now we can move forward. Except that uh, nobody really wants to move forward. They just want to yell. And then you get Anderson Cooper, again, a member of our esteemed journalistic establishment, serving up a slow clap for McConnell. So McConnell does what he is supposed to do, according to the media, which is he's supposed to acknowledge that Biden has now won the Electoral College and call him president-elect and all that. So McConnell does it. And the media greets that with, well, you know, he should have done it. What a jerk. What? Why would anyone try to please you people? There is no purpose. None. Here is Anderson Cooper, another objective journalist. So six weeks, dozens of court cases, two Supreme Court rejections, one fascist rally, four stabbings, countless threats against election officials who are just doing their jobs, and more than $200 million in deceptive Trump fundraising since the election. A slow clap, everyone, for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. After all, it's not like he said anything that wasn't obvious the Saturday after the election, five weeks ago, when news organizations called the race for President-elect Biden. Except for how there's a legal process, and uh, he wasn't president-elect Biden until the Electoral College voted, except for that. I mean, technically, McConnell's a little early because he's not actually president-elect until the House ratifies the vote on January 6th. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So Kaylee McEnany yesterday was at the White House, and she was quite properly calling out the media for the fact that they are damned liars, for the fact that they covered up the Hunter Biden story for weeks approaching the election. And then immediately after the election, they started covering the Hunter Biden story because now it was safe for the groundhog to emerge from his hidey hole. So here is Kaylee McEnany shellacking the press yesterday. On October 15th, you had a New York Times headline that said Trump said to be warned that he was being given Russian disinformation over Hunter Biden. Um, now, December 10th, just a few months later, New York Times headline investigation of Hunter Biden is likely to hang over Biden as he takes office. Washington Post on October 16th, the headline read the truth behind the Hunter Biden non-scandal. Now you have the Washington Post headline that says this Hunter Biden tax probe examining Chinese business deals. So that all happens to be true. And the media gets super mad, super duper, duper mad. So Jim Acosta, and no one is going to fall into obscurity faster than Jim Acosta, right? And this guy's had his moment because his entire moment was pretending to be Sam Donaldson or Dan Rather during the Reagan era. Or he's going to speak truth to power. Well, now what happens when speaking truth to power means that he actually goes up and gives Joe Biden a shoulder massage. So Jim Acosta, who loves Jim Acosta, he starts yelling at Kayleigh McEnany. You talk about media disinformation, you're, you're disinformation. You, this whole court is out of order. He's doing Al Pacino in Injustice for All. Like this ridiculous person, this ridiculous, ridiculous person. Here's Jim Acosta's final gasp. Good for those who covered what was a story all along and not Russia disinformation. Yeah, isn't, it, isn't it hypocritical for you to accuse others of disinformation when you spread it every day? You, oh, you're going to accuse others of disinformation when you say it every day. And it was like, oh, slay queen on Twitter the entire me. Oh, look at Jim Acosta. That's excellent. Report. So just a note, she's walking out of the room when he says this thing. That means he's a hero. When Peter Ducey of Fox News asks Joe Biden about when he knew his son was under investigation and Biden turns back to him and says, thanks for the congratulations. Then that's just Biden also slaying queen. So you may notice that there's a bit of a bias in how exactly we approach reporters who ask questions after people leave the podium. Then you get Don Lemon, objective journalisming up the wazoo, saying, yeah, girl, bye. Girl, wow. I mean, when I think of like truly great journalists, when I think of television voices of authority, it goes like, you know, 
Edward R. Murrow, Walter Cronkite, and the girl by guy. Does the president acknowledge that Joe Biden is the president-elect? Does he have any plans to invite him here to the White House? Um, the president is still involved in ongoing litigation related to the election. Uh, yesterday's vote was one step in the constitutional process, so I will leave that to him and refer you to the campaign for more on that litigation. The president, um, again, is pursuing ongoing litigation, would refer you to the campaign for further. He's still pursuing on ongoing litigation at the moment. Did you know she also worked for the girl? Bye. I mean, if there's no other girl, bye. Bye bye. So, so much disinformation coming from the podium. It's just, it's every day. It's like, comes out, reads propaganda, talks about the what the media is doing, criticizes the media. This is what you should be covering. I think we got this. You, you used to sit here on the set with us. I think we got it. When you sat here with us, you thought we had it. You were happy to be here, but now we don't know what we're doing. Girl, bye. The press are only for the press. They're not for telling you the truth. They are for the press, right? The reason Don Lemon is upset is because, how dare you? How dare you, madam, suggest that we provide disinformation, as we did for several long years about Russia? And about white supremacism inside the Trump administration and all that. Girl, bye. Like, the, what, what, slay, again, slay. Just amazing, amazing slaying going on from the members of our media. Because the bottom line is, it's about scorn for you. It is about scorn for anyone who disagrees with them. Because here, here's the thing that you have to understand about members of the media and members of, again, what Charles Murray has called the new upper class. The new upper class is united not merely by the fact that they have college degrees and not merely by the fact that they work in service industries and they get to go to their jobs while you cannot go to your job during COVID. That's not all that unifies them. What unifies them is a particular language. They have these linguistic signifiers. They they speak sentences that don't make sense to normal human beings because they're not meant to make sense to normal human beings, like a secret code, right? You, You can tell because they're the people who will put their pronouns in their bios. They're the same people who will drop terms like systemic and institutional racism without any actual explanation of what they mean. People who will say that anti-racism means to discriminate on the basis of race. It's it's those kinds of folks, folks who use a completely different set of language, who look down on you. This is a new upper class. They're what was once termed by James Burnham, the managerial elite. But they have created their own caste, right? They've created their own caste. And this, this caste looks down on you. They scorn you and they wish to ramrod their positions on life down to you. By the way, never living by those same positions. One of the hilarious things about the new upper class, as Charles Murray refers to it in his book, Coming Apart, one of the things about the new upper class is that they are, statistically speaking, more likely to be married. They are more likely to have a job. They are more likely to live almost conservative lifestyles, but they are the least likely to suggest that anybody else ought to do those things. In fact, they see their virtue in precisely that. They see their virtue in this soft bigotry of low expectations they extend to the rest of society and in their all-powerful God of tolerance, meaning that they are going to tolerate anybody who agrees with them and not tolerate anybody who disagrees with them. And this brings us to the culture wars. Okay, so the culture wars are ongoing. The left is not going to stop here. It's not going to stop. Everybody thinks that politics is about politics. Politics is no longer about politics because politics stopped being about politics the minute that politics started entering into every arena of American life. Now, politics is about the culture because anytime you engage with the culture, you cannot escape politics. Literally anytime. Right? At your job, you cannot escape. I get letters every single day, many of them, 
letters, calls, texts every single day from people who say, I'm interviewing for a job and people are asking me to parrot woke propaganda. What do I do? I'm in a social situation and family members are being jerks about my politics. What do I do? I'm in college and I just want to have a cadre of friends, but I can't mention that I'm a conservative. What do I do? This happens all the time. And the backlash is coming because the left has basically declared itself a religious cult. The radical left has, and they've taken over the auspices of the mainstream left and all institutional channels. And you can see it happening in real time. And the backlash is going to be extraordinary. Okay, everybody on the left thinks the backlash was Trump. The backlash was not Trump. Trump was the beginning of the backlash. He is certainly not the end of the backlash. Get ready for the backlash. So the left is just going to continue pushing because they feel their oats right now. Right? They think that they can, they can push and push and push and nobody will ever push back on them. This is why you see, for example, Andrew Cuomo banning the sale of Confederate flags. Now, I'm not a Confederate flag fan. I've been saying this for, for quite a while. I understand both sides of the argument. I understand folks who look at the Confederate flag and see it as a symbol of slavery because it, in fact, was a symbol of slavery during the Confederacy. And I see the perspective of Southerners who say this is Southern heritage, and I don't think of it as a symbol of slavery because my grandpa flew it over his tank at the Battle of the Bulge. I get that, too. I'm not a fan of the Confederate flag generally because it is open to interpretation that way. However, it is an aspect of free speech in America that, one, you can fly the Confederate flag, and two... It is just an aspect of a free speech culture that if somebody's flying a Confederate flag, you probably shouldn't make the assumption that they're a baseline rote racist. Okay, but Andrew Cuomo is not doing that. So Andrew Cuomo just signed a bill banning the sale of Confederate flags in his state. He signed a bill into law aiming at banning the sale of hate symbols such as the Confederate flag or the swastika on state property, even while admitting the new edict might clash with the First Amendment and be struck down as unconstitutional. So... He, he doesn't care about the First Amendment, you see. It's all about the virtue signaling to all of his lefty friends. First of all, how many, like, really, how many Confederate flags and swastikas are being sold on state property in New York? How many? Two? Like, it, it, it's a completely unnecessary piece of legislation. But the goal here is to signify that Andrew Cuomo is against bad things. And you, if you don't like Andrew Cuomo, you are in favor of the bad things. And you, if you think the First Amendment protects activity you don't necessarily like, it's not that you're pro-freedom, it's that you are pro-evil. And so Cuomo said, this country faces a pervasive, growing attitude of intolerance and hate, what I have referred to in the body politic as an American cancer. By limiting the display and sale of the Confederate flag, Nazi swastika, and other symbols of hatred from being displayed or sold on state property, including the state fairgrounds, this will help safeguard New Yorkers from the fear-installing effects of these abhorrent symbols. Fear-installing effects. He says, well, you know, we have to be careful about the First Amendment. But, you know, that's, that, that's a secondary concern. He's, of course... For Andrew Cuomo, it is all about the virtue signaling associated with his particular perspective. It is not about preserving American freedoms. Okay, and th these sorts of stories are blanketing the country. Okay, it's not just legislators like Andrew Cuomo or executives like Andrew Cuomo. Okay, the fact is that much softer versions of this can be found everywhere. And it's 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 astonishing how how much this ideology of the of the woke class has infused every area of American life. And truly incredible. Okay, so this is the question that I get the most, and it is now coming up everywhere. Okay, the cultural dominance of the left is not being challenged. And when the right fights back, it's gonna be it's gonna be vicious and it's gonna be brutal, and it ought to be. Okay, so here's a letter from a person who will remain unnamed. Okay, he says, I'm a daily listener, wanted to thank you for the work you do. Today I had my seventh interview with a large company out of a liberal city. I won't name the city. They recently op uh, opened an office here. The interview was with their COO. To be honest, I felt like I had the job if I was getting this far into the process. Unfortunately, I'm now hesitating with my excitement for the future with this company. The second question in my interview was, quote, what have I done to personally and professionally end systemic racism? 
I answered the question the best I could. I'm not sure how anyone can give examples for this. She went on to tell me she has hired someone from Google to come in and end systemic racism within the company. Tomorrow, I'll be delivering a one-hour PowerPoint presentation for a panel of people for my final interview. This is truly uncharted territory for America. I really don't know where we're heading. Needless to say, my presentation and narrative for my final interview has changed direction. The cultural cramdown that is happening here, when you're being asked on job interviews, just normal job interview, you're not working for some sort of 501c3. A normal job interview, you're being asked how you're fighting to end systemic racism in the United States, which, by the way, is not possible as an individual, according to Ibram Kendi and Robin DeAngelo both. In order to, quote unquote, end systemic racism, as a white person, you're supposed to both sit down and shut up and also mirror the beliefs of Robin DeAngelo and Ibram Kendi and fight against the system itself. My answer, if somebody said, how are you fighting systemic racism? What I would say is, according to Robin DeAngelo and Ibram Kendi, the only way to fight systemic racism is to tear down the capitalist system. So my plan is to enter your company and completely wreck it. That is my plan to end systemic racism. Your company is part of the problem. And then dare them not to hire you. And then call them racist if they don't hire you, right? Because that is the backwards logic that is now being applied. And it really is not, of course, about what they think you're going to do or that they want you to quote unquote end systemic racism. They don't even know what that means. It's all about, do you speak the language? Do you speak the language? And the language is becoming ever more extreme, ever more radical, and ever more difficult to understand. Take, for example, this brilliant Twitter exchange. This is one of my favorite Twitter exchanges of all time. So there is a feminist named Liz Plank, a Canadian author and award-winning journalist who used to be a political correspondent at Vox.com. So she was very, very angry about the fact that so many people agreed with people like me or Joseph Epstein or Tucker Carlson that Dr. Jill Biden is not a real doctor because she's not a real doctor. She has an EDD in education from University of Delaware. Joy. Okay, and, and so... Liz Plank wanted to say it was misogynist to point out that this is not an actual, like, being a doctor thing. It, it, it's it's, it's non-feminist. It does, does not matter, by the way, that a huge percentage of people in medical schools, I believe a bare majority now, of people in medical schools are women. So that doesn't matter. It is sexist to say that the term doctor should really only be applied to medical doctors. So she tweeted out, Liz Plank, MSC. Ooh, MSC. What, what, what an absolutely incredible degree. That is, wow, I, I, I mean, just shocking. So she tweeted out that, she, she tweeted out, it's a master's of science degree. Woo-hoo-hoo. And she tweeted out, can every woman who sees this change, uh, sees this, change their handles to reflect their credentials? And she started seeing people put out like their master's degrees. Ooh, we're all very impressed. This is all part of that new upper class I'm talking about. People who identify by their credentials because it gives them cachet in the circles in which they travel. It's the reason, by the way, that Dr. Jill Biden wants to call herself Dr. Jill. And she's openly said this, is that she wanted more respect. And so she started calling herself Dr. Jill and got that EDD in education. And so one woman wrote back, as so Liz Plank said, can every woman who sees this change their handles to reflect their credentials? And this woman wrote, this one woman wrote back quite properly, if I dropped out of high school, can you recommend some initials to put at the end of my name that will make me worth something as a person? Which is just a devastating rebuttal. Right? Because the fact is that you should not be characterized as like a special person based on your degree, right? This is just basic credentialism. So Liz Plank wrote this back. This is just, it's a wonderful entree into the bizarro linguistic world of the social justice warrior left and the new upper class. Here's what Liz, Liz Plank says, quote, trying to correct the systemic and historical erasure of women's contributions and accomplishments doesn't and shouldn't preclude us from also fighting against the myth of meritocracy. Wow. Man, is that some Argo Bargo right there. My goodness. That is gobbledygook. 
Now, I can decode that for you if you'd like. So here's what she means. She means that if we don't pay attention to the fact that Liz Plank is an MSC, first of all, I don't pay attention to dudes who have an MSC. I certainly don't pay attention to dudes who have an EDD. I mean, like, that's a degree that fewer people have heard of. than Like, if you say that somebody has an EDD to somebody, they'll ask if they have erectile dysfunction. It is that uncommon of a degree. In any case, Liz Plank is making two separate contentions. One, she says that that you have to put the title at the end of your name in order to prevent the historical erasure of women's accomplishments. Because if we don't call Dr. Jill, Dr. Jill, this means that we're erasing her accomplishments. Also, that should not preclude us from making the separate and mutually exclusive argument that the meritocracy is bad. So you cannot have this both ways. If you're talking about accomplishments and contributions and the need for a meritocracy, she says that we should also fight against the myth of a meritocracy because there is no meritocracy, nor could there be a meritocracy. Okay, if all this sounds like ridiculous crap, that's because it is ridiculous crap. But the point is that you are supposed to pledge fealty to the ridiculous crap and you are supposed to speak the language of the ridiculous crap in order to be accepted into the woke circles of higher power. Here's the problem. The more radical that circle of higher power becomes, the more Americans are going to say, you know what, I don't want to be in your circle. I don't like your circle. Your circle is dumb. So we're just going to stay out here. And you know what? We're not going to pay attention to the institutions you control. We're going to move away from those institutions. We're going to build our own. There are more of us than there are of you. We're not going to remain silent. And if you want to not hire me because I couldn't answer your dumb question about how I'm ending systemic racism in America because I'm working at a bank or something, then guess what? I'll just go work at a different bank. Guess what? I won't work with you. And have fun hiring a bunch of degree holders in woke social justice who feel that it is by necessity their job to make your business less efficient because capitalism is the source of all evil. Like, really, go for it. The the way this has infused so many portions of American life is going to drive a backlash like you've never seen. Another example. Yesterday, the New York Teachers Union, New New York City Teachers Union, passed a Black Lives Matter at school resolution. It called for many things. Among the many things that it called for was, quote, Black villages, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another and especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. So um, the, the, that's right. The New York City Teachers Union passed a Black Lives Matter at school resolution calling for the disruption of the nuclear family, which makes Perfect sense. I mean, if you really want to make lives better for black kids, what you definitely need to do is disrupt the nuclear family. It's been it's worked wonders for black children all across America. The elevation of single motherhood from a 20 percent phenomenon in 1960 to a to a plus 70 percent phenomenon in 2020 has been absolutely excellent, particularly for young black boys. Well done, Black Lives Matter crowd. Well done, woke social justice warriors. Yes, what is deeply necessary is to undermine the fundamental family structure that provides boys, particularly with some form of guidance. Solid stuff right there. Really, really good stuff. And meanwhile, in social justice warrior land, also a San Francisco high school has decided to rename itself. So San Francisco, this is according to the UK Daily Mail, decided to rename Abraham Lincoln High School. And you're saying to yourself, wait, isn't Abraham Lincoln the president who uh, freed the slaves? Like Civil War guy, Abraham Lincoln? Like not some other Abraham Lincoln I've never heard of? Oh yeah, no, no, it's that Abraham Lincoln, but he's bad now. San Francisco is going to rename Abraham Lincoln High School because the former president did not demonstrate that black lives mattered to him. I'm pretty sure they did, considering that he fought a civil war to end slavery. That seems like a pretty good indicator that somebody is kind of concerned about black lives, that he didn't want them to remain enslaved. But apparently not good enough for the San Francisco woke. 
Also, the wokeocrats at the San Francisco Unified School District, they've decided not only to rename the Abraham Lincoln High School because of his treatment of indigenous peoples through the 1862 Homestead Act and the Pacific Railway Act, but also, but also, they are going to rename a bunch of other schools. 44 schools will be renamed. What are these schools? George Washington will be renamed, of course, because George Washington was a slaveholder. Yes, of course, George Washington was also the father of the country, but, you know, you know, the people in San Francisco, they're better than he was, than, than he was as a person. They just, they are, if they had lived in 1790, they would have been better people than George Washington. They're the greatest people who have ever lived. Herbert Hoover High School is going to be renamed. That's going to be renamed for some unspecified reason that I, I can't exactly explain. Thomas Edison will be renamed because Thomas Edison was bad. And also, Dianne Feinstein's name will be stripped from the Dianne Feinstein Elementary School for once allowing the Confederate flag to fly outside City Hall. So Dianne Feinstein is not woke enough for this gang. It's going to be fun. I, I am looking forward to in like 10 years when they have to strip Barack Obama's name off of things. Because when he started his presidency, he wasn't pro-same-sex marriage. Like that's going to be fun. That, that will be enjoyable. So they're stripping all names off all things. This is just Marxism. It is just commie bullcrap. But again, this earns you, you, you have now seen history through the eyes of the oppressed. And this means that we have to take away all the good things that have happened in history and we have to smear them through the mud. And this is going to make the world a better place. Speak the language, speak and repeat. And if you don't speak and repeat, this means that you're a bad person. This means that you cannot be among us, the woke, the cadre of the, of the brilliant moral arbiters of the future of the United States. Speak and repeat. And by the way, you can be just as sensitive as you want, but if you make a mistake, they'll come after you. So here is an example. Sean Mendez. Okay, so Sean Mendez uh, is uh, apparently some sort of a singer. I, 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 as you well know, I am not a follower of today's pop culture other than being a platinum award-winning rap artist. Um, Sean Mendez had to apologize to Sam Smith. So Sam Smith is a singer. He is a gay man. He also recently declared himself gender fluid and said he wanted to use the terms they and them to refer to him, which is silly because he's an individual human being. Also, he has not changed his biology. He remains a gay man. Nonetheless, he, be, being a gender fluid being, right, being a, a, a magical unicorn, Sam Smith was now owed an apology by, Sam, by, by Shawn Mendes. Why? Because Shawn Mendes committed the egregious sin of saying he. Now, I know most Americans, most people around the world, actually, look at that and they're like, what now? Isn't that a dude? And yes, that is a dude, Sam Smith. But if you say that he is a dude, he gets very angry, apparently. And if you wish to be welcomed into the halls of social power, you have to abide by the graces of the language. So Sean Mendez put out a statement. Oh, Sam Smith, I'm so sorry for referring to Fs to you as a he for your Jingle Bell introduction. It absolutely slipped my mind. Won't happen again, no apostrophe. Sending you so much love. Also, you absolutely are one of the funniest people I've ever met, two hearts. Wow. I mean, that is an egregious sin. When you call a man he... Not even a man who identifies as a woman, just a man who identifies as a they, as a genderless being. When you call him he, grave, grave sin. These are our cultural arbiters. I can't, the backlash to this stuff is going to be overwhelming and it should be overwhelming. It is bad, okay? It is, it is not good for the country. It is, it is not good for the future of reason and decency. It's bad stuff. Alrighty, later today, we'll be back for two additional hours of content. While you wait, Head on over to The Matt Walsh Show today at 1.30 p.m. Eastern over at dailywire.com. He's talking more about this insane story from the San Francisco high schools taking Abe Lincoln's name off of school because he didn't show Black Lives Matter to him. Also, he's talking about that trans activist we talked about yesterday who advocated puberty blockers for all children. 
Yes, if it feels like society's collapsing around you, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not going to. It's the left contributing to its own collapse. We'll get to more of this a little bit later on the day. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Rebecca Doyle and Savannah Dominguez. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright 2020. Mitch McConnell calls Joe Biden president-elect. CNN complains that Melania read a book to sick kids in a hospital. And California Governor Gavin Newsom faces a serious recall effort. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.